Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hang on the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me back from gallivanting overseas is my usual co-host, Josh Dooley. Josh, did you make America proud and complete your mission overseas? Absolutely. Uh, can't divulge too much information, but uh, America's in a better place because of me and my actions overseas. But uh, no, Gene, I'm happy to be back. Happy to be back on the pod. Happy to be back with you talking some Ohio State Buckeye football and all that good stuff. So I'm back in the saddle. Now it's time to ride. Yeah, it's good to have you. I personally feel safer knowing that you've completed your mission and just the fact that I get to hear your voice again this weekend. And, you know, it's a good time to, to talk some Buckeye football because this team is, yes, it is rolling right now after another massive win over a ranked Big Ten team. You know, the we were talking last week, me and Justin, about how impressive it was what Ohio State was able to do against Purdue, who was ranked at the time and was a team that was kind of on the upswing, had a really good offense, had a really solid defense, and Ohio State really didn't make them look like it. They, they took them out early. Uh, same thing here with an even better team, the number seven Michigan State Spartans. Ohio State wins 56-7. to seven. Uh, Josh, not exactly what me and Justin were expecting. I didn't, We didn't get to hear your thoughts on this game, how you felt about it, but we were definitely expecting, you know, I, I was expecting Ohio State to score a lot of points, but I was also expecting Michigan State to, to get theirs with Kenneth Walker and that offense, but you know, Ohio State didn't let them do anything at all on either side of the ball, and I was, you know, this was probably Ohio State's most impressive, it, definitely their most impressive showing this season and maybe their most impressive showing it in a really really long time yeah i agree with you there but uh you know first and foremost big props to justin too for stepping in um and doing the pod with you so uh appreciate him but yeah i i think that this was ohio state's most complete game that i can remember in a really long time um and i could be a prisoner of the moment maybe there's some hyperbole in there but you know, the the cohesiveness that they showed on offense, the ability to just do anything they wanted at any time. I think the offense looked as good as it has. Gosh, I mean, um, the Clemson semifinal game was a great game for the offense. I think that was uh, a real kind of total effort and total performance on the offense's part. Um, and you can kind of point at some past defensive games and matchups where the Buckeyes have performed to this level. Um, and, and look, Michigan State, they were banged up. Um, their offense is maybe not always cracked up to be, especially when you kind of shut down Kenneth Walker. But again, in totality, I think that this was one of the better games that Ohio State has played and more importantly, coached in a while in recent memory. So I think they are peaking at the right time. Uh, I think that the offense is clicking, it's humming. I think the defense is doing its job. You know, they had a little bit of a bump in the road against Purdue, but look, I mean, Purdue's been putting up three, 400 yards passing against everyone. That's sort of what they do. And I think Ohio State probably let their guard down a little bit, um, especially during the second half against Purdue because they had jumped out to that big early lead. They didn't do that against Michigan State. That's what I wanted to see. Were they going to let Michigan State get back into this game or at least make it interesting? And they did not. Like, there was nothing interesting about this second half. It was actually one of the more boring second halves I can remember. Even some of the huge blowouts against non-conference teams and things like that. This second half was a snoozer, but that's because Ohio State looked so good from beginning to halftime and then eased off the uh, eased off the gas a little bit. So great performance, total performance. Really happy to see where this team's at right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we could kind of, we'll start with the offense here because they were the real stars of the show. Uh, looking at Ohio State's drive charts here, first seven of the game, uh, touchdown, 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 and uh, shocker here for the seventh one, touchdown. Uh, their only drive in the first half they did not score on was their last one where they needed out till the halftime. Uh, you know, four of those seven drives were over 70 yards. Three of them were over 80 yards. Uh, Ohio State did whatever they wanted. This, you know, this Michigan State team came in here with the number 130 pass defense and Ohio Ohio State took full advantage of it. You know, I think against any, you know, D1 offense, especially a team that's ranked in the top 10 D1 defense, I should say, um, doing having seven straight touchdown drives to open a game. 
uh, is impressive against anyone. I don't care what the the situation is. You know, C.J. Stroud had a point where he completed 17 straight passes to complete to to break an Ohio State school record. Um, everything that Ohio State did in this game worked. They were seemingly scoring at will, doing everything they ran worked. Um, C.J. Stroud obviously had had the big day, the, the Heisman moment day, 32 or 35, 432 yards, six touchdowns, and that was only playing you know two quarters and one extra drive in the second half. Um, it was it was impressive, you know. I I didn't see it coming. Like I said, I, I thought that Ohio State would be able to score a little bit. I didn't think it would be as easy as it was out there. I don't know if you saw this video, Josh, but it was really a, a good microcosm of the entire offensive game. There's a, a video of of Garrett Wilson on his long touchdown where. He mm-hmm. breaks off the line. He's looking forward, run his route. And, you know, instinctually, he goes to, like, knock the corner's hands out behind him. And he does the motion to knock them away, immediately noticing that there's no one there to knock away and that he's already burnt him off the line. And then he immediately turns his head the other way and throws his hand up for C.J. Stroud, like, hey, I'm open. Mm-hmm. And that was really, like, just what the entire game was. These corners had no chance against this this trio of amazing Ohio State wide receivers, Earth, Wind, and Fire, as the, the broadcast has dubbed them. What a nickname. Um, yeah, I love it. I think it's a lot of fun. I think the guys really like it. And, you know, those guys, Chris Olave, Gary Wilson, and Jack Smith and Jigba, all deserve a ton of credit for what they've done this year. And they, they did it again this week. And they'll need to continue doing it the rest of the year if Ohio State wants to reach the heights they want to. But I just, when all these guys are clicking at once, when CJ Stroud's in a rhythm, when these guys are all getting open so easily, I don't really see any team in the country that could that could stop this offense, let alone even slow it down. Yeah, this is probably the most fun offense I can really remember. And I absolutely mean that because, you know, under Urban Meyer, uh, the talent was through the roof. Zeke, uh, JT Barrett, Cardale, Braxton Miller, you know, crossover there. Um, You know, trestle ball was trestle ball. The talent was there, but they weren't this high flying circus act that we kind of see now. This team is so fun to watch on a weekly basis because of what they can do in the passing game. And then, oh, by the way, they've got this tremendous freshman running back that they just really haven't needed as much throughout the season. But Ryan Day, I talk about his his schemes, his game plan, his play calling, things like that. And yes, you can have your knocks where he's got these odd games. Maybe he's trying to get too cute. But you, you just you see his genius when they dominate the way that they have, especially over the last couple of weeks, like it's, it's impossible to guard these three wide receivers and it starts there. I think, I think they open it up for everyone else, but then to CJ Stroud's credit, I think he has mastered this offense. I'm not saying he's the best player in the country, although we, you know, we can talk about that stuff later. Um, I'm not saying that he's going to be an all pro in the NFL or anything like that, but he knows how to run this offense. He seems very much in tune with Ryan Day. And so to have those two guys on the same page and the play that you brought up, not only was that great to see Garrett Wilson kind of instinctively do that and be like, oh, hey, I'm just wide open. But it really speaks to CJ Stroud's progression and development because I think it's the same exact play. Jeremy Ruckert was running a seam route, um, like on the left hash. And CJ Stroud talked about a little bit after the game. He's using his eyes to complement the ability of his wide receivers. He says, if you get if you beat your guy, I will beat, you know, the the cover safety or the 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 extra eyes. And on that play, he sort of looked towards Ruckert and the safety didn't necessarily bite, but they got stuck just long enough to where then it was just Wilson one-on-one. He had already beaten his guy. It was over. So that really speaks to CJ Stroud's, again, like his progression and development to be able to use his eyes to look off safeties or look off coverage, linebackers, whatever it is. I think that's really special. It's because he's putting the time in. He's learning more and more about this offense. And he's coached by a great offensive mind, a former quarterback, like all of those things that Ryan Day brings to the table. He can kind of impart that wisdom on his quarterback because they're speaking the same language. So... I think they're hitting on all cylinders right now. I think that they can score on anybody in the country. That includes Georgia. That includes, like, you name it. Ohio State can score on anybody in the country. And we'll see how that works later down the road. They're going to need the offense to keep humming because I think that 
Michigan's a good team and they've got a good defense. So this was just another hurdle in the way, but yeah, like I can't say I'm shocked, but I'm definitely surprised. I thought that Michigan state would put up more of a fight on defense and everyone talked about their passer ranking. And I was like, yeah, but you know, Purdue beat them up a little bit and they had a bad game against Michigan. Who's not really known for throwing the ball. And then immediately I was like, Oh, okay. This is legit that they're the 130th ranked pass defense in the country. Gene, I don't know about you. Like I I sort of had my doubts about how bad they were. They're that bad on pass in uh, the pass defense. Yeah. And like I it was almost to a point where like I felt bad for Michigan State at, at a certain point in that in that first half because they just it was literally like they were they were playing with like eight guys out there on defense. They had just no chance at all. And and in speaking of CJ Stroud, I think you're right. I think he's done such a good job in this offense. We saw early in the year, I, I think from the start, CJ Stroud's decision making has been really good pretty much since the jump. I don't remember any really egregiously bad decisions he's made early in the year, but we did remember how he had a lot of those overthrows early in games. He seemed a little bit off. Uh especially, you know, in the first halves of games. And now, you know, ever since that Akron game, really, they, he had a little blip against Nebraska where, where he wasn't, like, you know, perfect. But other than that, you know, he has been tremendous. I think that all of his throws have been on the money, both long, short, me- intermediate. He's hitting pretty much everything, anything he wants. You know, he only had three incompletions total yesterday, and I think two of them were drops. So, uh, you know, he's he's hitting everybody where he wants them. One of my favorite things of watching the Ohio State broadcast on TV these past few weeks is that every time C.J. Stroud, you know, loads up to throw it deep, I, I, I'm waiting for the camera to pan to the receiver and see just how open they are because it seems like every time they take that deep shot the receiver is like four or five steps in front of the DBs it's never like he's throwing it to double coverage or the safety over the top ready to make a play it's always just a dude streaking wide open and it's hilarious to watch but he's also dropping it in a bread basket every time um, he had that really nice throw to, to Chris Olave in the corner of this one where Olave made that mm-hmm. ridiculous catch. He also, the, the first touchdown pass to Chris Olave was really pretty over two defenders as well. So he's making a lot of good throws. He's making all the right decisions. He's been extremely comfortable in the pocket. I really liked his ability to extend plays. He's been stepping up in the pocket. Uh, we also have to shout out his offensive line who have been absolutely tremendous in pass protection. Mm-hmm. It seems like every week uh, we're getting a PFF tweet about how Nicholas Petit Ferrer and Dewan Jones are allowing zero QB pressures and that was the case again this week they tweeted out this morning uh that they had 38 pass blocking snaps at you know with the start that was that was only the amount of snaps they needed with the starters in uh they allowed zero qb pressures and zero sacks so the tackles especially have been tremendous but this whole offensive line has been really good at pass protection all year and i think you know even at times where they've let up a little bit cj stroud's been able to make plays with his feet not not especially running the ball as, as ohio state fans know but but keeping plays alive finding the open man and getting getting the yardage some way or another and it's been you know it's been a lot of fun to watch i think a lot of you know a lot of ohio state fans need to apologize to cj stroud at this point in the year a lot of people were talking crap about him early really down on him thinking they should bench him for someone else but i think he's proven by this point why ryan day chose him to be ohio state's starting quarterback he is now squarely I think he's the front runner of the Heisman conversation, especially since, you know, Ohio State did what they did to CJ, to uh, Kenneth Walker, which we'll get to in a little bit. But yeah, a really impressive performance from Stroud. And once again, you have all these these three receivers. You have all three of them going over 100 yards. Um, You're now closing in on having 3,000 yard receivers in a season, which is just nutty to say. But Jack Smith and Jigba was already already there after the Purdue game, but now you have Garrett Wilson, uh, who is just 61 yards shy, and then Chris Olave, who's only 152 yards shy. So with another big performance against Michigan, all three of those guys will be over the 1,000-yard mark, and you know, if, if not against Michigan, then in Ohio State's next game, they'll probably hit it. So really impressive stuff to see. Chris Olave also in this game broke the Ohio State career touchdown receptions record, so a lot to like on this offense. They really didn't do anything wrong. Uh, you know, obviously they, they didn't score a ton in the second half, but the backups came in and kind of just sat on them. Ohio State wasn't really foot on their neck trying to score. I'm sure if, Ohio, if Ryan Day wanted to come out there and score another 40 with Comicord, he probably could have, but, you know, no need to do that. You know, no need to risk injury to any of the, the important players on the team and stuff, but yeah, you know, overall, really impressive. I don't really, I don't know what what more we could say about these Ohio State receivers. They're really good. They're always open, and that's just you know they catch everything. That's what it is. Yeah, it's such a luxury, but it's like it's a luxury that they have created 
Brian Hartline's recruiting, Ryan Day's recruiting, uh, the development by those guys, especially Brian Hartline. Um, you know, I was really happy to see Julian Fleming stay involved yesterday, you know, with everyone back. And, and I know they were back against Purdue as well, but Julian Fleming caught his first career touchdown. I've been trying to hype that guy up since he walked on campus. He's fought through a ton of injuries and just some lingering stuff. It was good to see him stay involved. And he caught that touchdown you know, when the game still mattered, it was in the first half, right? Even though Ohio State was well on their way, good to see there. You brought up the offensive line. Not only have they they blocked well, I mean, I think they gave up two sacks. One was to McCord. Uh, the other one, C.J. Stroud kind of took the, the Manning route. Like the pocket was collapsing. He's like, oh, okay, I'm just going to crumble down here. But they have looked really good. And they've had zero penalties for two weeks now, two, uh, two weeks running. So that's what you want to see because we saw some, like some messiness earlier on. And the Nebraska game was really odd with the penalties and things like that. So they've cleaned that up. That's, that's positive to see. I want to talk about the receivers and, and go a little bit off script a little bit, but you know, to have these three guys and then you see that Jamison Williams is at Alabama and he's doing what he's doing. Um, the thing that I saw, I, I saw this on Twitter earlier, Stuart Mandel, and he was basically saying like, yeah, it's impressive what CJ Stroud is doing, but he's got so much more to work with because Bryce Young's top receiver is like an OSU cast off. And that's like one of the most ignorant idiotic statements or comparisons I think I've ever seen from somebody who I really like, you know, I, I read Stuart Mandel's stuff and I, ch- I follow him on social media. It, it, that has no relevancy. It means nothing. Jamison Williams was the third receiver last year. Um, he could have put up a thousand yards. He chose to leave, right? Because maybe he saw the writing on the wall, but to say that CJ Stroud's job is easy or easier than somebody like Bryce Young. I mean, give me a break. Bryce Young's got nothing but four and five star guys around him. Yes, Jameson Williams has been great, but John Mechie is great. Um, You know, they've always had good pass catching tight ends. They've got Nick Saban, but more importantly, they've got Bill O'Brien, who's a freaking NFL playoff coach as their offensive coordinator. So I saw that and I was like, give me a break. CJ Stroud is putting in the work and he's doing the right things. There's nothing about his job that is easy. It's just made easier by the talent around. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was I was surprised by that that take as well because it's like people are acting like Alabama isn't also built entirely, like you said, out of four and five star talents. Like John Mechie was a high four star recruit and obviously Jamison Williams is what he is. So I don't see how you know Bryce Young's job isn't any easier than than CJ Stroud's. And with the way that the SEC's been playing this year, it's probably been even easier. None of those SEC defenses are yeah. really all that impressive this season. They're all, Alabama's best win is Ole Miss. Like, they're not exactly playing the greatest teams in the world. We'll see what they really are when they play Georgia. But it is odd to see. You know, I, I was happy for Jamison Williams. I, I, you know, I wasn't, I don't think that many Ohio State fans were, like, you know, pissed at him for leaving or, like, you know, really angry at him for doing what he did. Um, I think they understood that he wasn't really going to get the playing time that he'd get there. And so it was, it made the, the best decision for him to leave I don't I do know I did see the quote from Jamison Williams that he's kind of like bitter towards Ohio State fans so that kind of yeah I didn't understand that so I don't really know what to think about that but either way I mean watching Alabama yesterday Jamison Williams is still probably the guy he was at Ohio State he still really only runs one route and it's straight because he's really really fast um and you know I, I think Ohio State thought they had more in Jackson Smith and Jigman they could do a little bit more with him I think both parties won in that deal I think it's the best for for both worlds and I and, you know I wish Jamison Williams the best and I, I think that you know I, I think it's dumb for Alabama fans to be like oh how did they let this guy go because I think Ohio State's just fine with the receivers they have but I, I do think you know it was, it was a mutual parting I think that both parties are, are doing just okay I think James Williams is having a great season. I think all of Ohio State receivers are having a great season. I don't think, you know, any of those guys should be mad at anybody. Um, so, yeah, it, it is an odd take. I don't see how, like, you know, it, at the end of the day, it's Ohio State and Alabama. It's two of the two of the best football programs in America. I don't think you could complain about either team being good because their players are good. I think that's just the way the world works, and that's how it's always going to be. But, yeah, weird take. I don't think, you know, I don't I would imagine the Heisman like candidacy isn't gonna be isn't gonna dock CJ Stroud and be like, oh well he has he has three really good receivers and Alabama only has two. So Bryce Young's gotta win it. I don't think that's how this whole thing works. But 
before we kind of move on here to Ohio State's defense, I do want to talk about the, the run game a little bit. And Josh, you know, I said this before the pod, but I think it's kind of funny that Ohio State's solution to the run game and not working great is just to not do it anymore. Um, Trayvon Henderson only had nine carries in this game. Now, he did have 63 yards. He averaged seven per carry. But... Ohio State's clearly gone away from the run game in these last two games a lot, and they, they've really favored the pass. And when you have these receivers, I don't blame them, but it is definitely interesting to see. You know, we we know that the offensive line have had their struggles run blocking this season, but in the last two weeks, I really liked how Ohio State's offense has used a ton of motion in in, in lieu of the run game, and that's really mm-hmm. set up the passing game, and it's it's working really well. I know specifically on one of the Olave touchdowns yesterday, there was a play where. Um, they started the play. They had uh, three guys out wide, including Trayvon Henderson. They motioned Trayvon Henderson back to the backfield. Then they had Garrett Wilson motion across the formation from the right side. And then at the end, it wound up being a, a touchdown to Chris Olave over the middle. And there's just so much going on with Ohio State pre-snap. And so, like, every single guy that's moving around is a potential threat to score that it's so hard for opposing defenses to key in on. And I think that that has kind of been... Ohio State's de facto run game where teams might not have to worry about the run as much because Ohio State isn't doing it as frequently, but they do have to worry about all these players moving around pre-snap, and I think it's giving C.J. Stroud a good idea of you know who's doing what pre-play, a good idea of seeing the defense, what's going on in front of them, and I think all that combined is, is the reason why we've seen Ohio State's offense be so good these last two weeks. It's really the first two weeks we've seen them do a lot of this motion, and I imagine it'll continue because it's worked out pretty flawlessly to this point, but yeah, I would like to see you know I'd like to see Trayvon Henderson get more involved. He's He's been good when they've given him the rock, but with the way that Ohio State's passed the ball right now, I don't think you could really complain about anything the offense is doing. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, you re-brought that up because we did mention it before the pod. I think they've just stopped forcing it. Um, they want to be a balanced offense. Ryan Day wants them to have a balanced offense, and I think that's important to have balance. And if you look at it, granted, the, the script kind of dictated this, but they ran, <clears throat> excuse me, 43 runs and 43 passes yesterday. Now, that was because they clearly wanted to get Master Teague a touchdown on senior day, and I'm glad they did. But I just think they were forcing it uh, kind of in the middle part of the season. You're playing against better defenses, and you want to keep those defenses off balance. But when you've got the receivers in the pass game to work with, I don't think that you need to force it. It needs to be a threat and they've established that threat. Teams know what Travion Henderson is capable of. It doesn't mean that you have to pound him up the middle time and time again to remind those defenses. They know they've seen the 50, 60, 70 yard plays that he's had. They know his speed and all that good stuff. So I think you pick and choose your spots and they just didn't have to do that against Michigan State. Um, you know, Michigan State's a top 25-ish rush, run de- rush defense, I'm sorry, and they're terrible against the pass, so they just went to the pass more often. That's It's almost common sense to just play towards the other team's weakness, and, you know, we've hit on C.J. Stroud not being a threat. I think that's real. He's not a threat to run. So quit trying to force that or quit trying to trick teams into thinking that he is that. It's almost like if you're a basketball player and you can dunk, but you're you're kind of a rim grazer, a rim scraper, but you're a great three-point shooter. I I don't need you to dunk. I don't care that you can barely get the ball over the rim uh, and occasionally, you know, throw down a reverse or something like that. Go shoot the threes. Go give me the 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 more the thing that's worth more points and more yards in this case. Give me the big plays. I don't need the runs if it's not there. And so they're just playing to their strength, but they've still got that wild card to play. And I think depending on the matchup, it it will it will come out. But in this instance, I just didn't think they needed to, and I think they realized that and they said, "Look, we're going to go away from it." Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense, you know, when you have these three future NFL wide receivers to, to play to them. And, you know, Trayvon Henderson is going to be a really good running back at Ohio State. But the way the, the passing game's going and with the way the matchup worked out, I think it made a lot of sense to air it out. And it's not like they made C.J. Stroud throw it 50 times. He only threw it 35 times. He only played a half. So I think at the end of the day, it all worked out. But, you know, speaking of, you know, elite run defenses, uh, Ohio State may actually have one. It turns out. Um 
you know, we, we saw earlier in the year how much they struggled with Mo Ibrahim and C.J. Verdell at Oregon. And, you know, a lot of the talk coming into this week was, well, Ohio State hasn't seen, you know, an even capable rushing attack for really since those two games. So it, it was tough to gauge what Ohio State would do against a running back like Kenneth Walker. Um, turns out they, they did pretty well. Uh, Kenneth Walker finished his game with only six carries for 25 yards. He did get nicked up there a little bit early in the game, but it, it kind of just seemed like Michigan State was, was playing it safe with him a little bit and just being like, there's no need to put this guy back in the game once things got out of hand quickly. But, you know, overall, uh, Michigan State was credited with 21 rushes for 66 yards, just 3.1 per carry. Ohio State's defense played really, really well against the run. And they also played really well against the pass. Peyton Thorne was only 14 of 36 with 158 yards and that one touchdown that came against the, the, the second stringers. So, all in all, Ohio State's starting defense defense played fantastic. I thought we saw a lot of guys really play really well. Um, obviously, Seven Banks didn't play in this game, and I, I don't think it was a coincidence that Ohio State's pass defense looked a little bit better. I think I think Cam Brown and Denzel Burke are better off as your two starting outside corners. Um, I think the linebackers, you know, it was, it was Steel Chambers and Cody Simon starting again. I think they both played really well. Um, the defensive line overall, I thought, played really well. I, I know, you know, specifically, I think Zach Harrison played a really good game again. I thought Haskell Garrett looked good. We saw a little bit of Tyleek Williams, who I really like. He's still good. I don't know why he's not playing more. Uh, but really, overall, the defensive line played really well. It was probably Ohio State's strongest unit on defense. They batted down a lot of passes in this game, which was kind of weird. It felt like Peyton Thorne was like 5'8 or something. They, they batted down like four or five passes in this game. So that was, you know, it was good to see them get involved. There's also another play I saw on Twitter this morning of Zach Harrison playing like zone coverage over the middle against one of Michigan State's better receivers. And it's just like these guys are very, you know, they're, they're being very versatile. They had a big impact on the game. And if they didn't have, you know, a ton of sacks, I don't even know if the starting defenders were credited with that. Oh, Haskell Garrett was and Tyler Williams had one as well. So they had two sacks. Um, but yeah, overall, really, really impressive showing from the defense. Probably their best game of the year overall, too. And that's even with the, the, the backups playing the entirety of the second half and even a little bit in the second quarter. So, uh, you know, I we've, you know, the, the defense has definitely been the, the weaker point of this team throughout the season. But I think that this unit may legitimately be good. And I don't know how much to take of, of this Michigan State offense. I think Michigan State's offense was solid coming in. I don't know. Maybe maybe they were a little overrated. But I, I, I do think that they were, you know, pretty solid. And they could have definitely tested this Ohio State team. If the Michigan State D, uh, offense that we've seen the past few weeks would have played Ohio State's defense in the first two weeks, I think they would have put up you know, 30, 40 points. But I think we're really seeing the growth of this unit. I think there's a lot of guys stepping up, and you know, we're, we're starting to learn a little bit more about this team each and every week. And obviously there's a, a big test coming up next week, but I was really, really impressed with what I saw from the defense. Yeah, I was impressed, and it's actually – what we saw from the defense is more in line with my expectations. Uh, you know, I knew the offense would score. I knew the offense would put up yards, but to do what they did, wildly impressive. Uh, the defense was also very impressive, but I wasn't, I wasn't shocked by it because we've seen, especially up front, the improvement in the running defense, the rush defense. Um, they're now up to 11th in the country in both yards per game and yards per rush. So it's not just one, one outlier stat. It's, it's truly a, a solid run defense. Now it's probably made a little bit easier by the fact that they get out to these big leads and the teams, you know, their opponents just, they have to go away from the run. They can't rely on it the way that they would like to. And we saw that a little bit with the Spartans. They weren't able to utilize Kenneth Walker. And yes, he got banged up, but to only have six carries, I mean, they were they were out of the game almost immediately. But I do think the run defense is real. I think that the rotation they have up front, it's gotten better throughout the year. I think Larry Johnson's really coached those guys up. And it's not just the run defense. They, they're... They're getting pressure too. They're still a top five team in sacks on the year. So I think it's a good defense. They're going to continue to have struggles against the pass. But I, I've sort of been saying all year that I, I'm not overly impressed by Peyton Thorne. I think he's a capable quarterback. I don't think he's bad by any means, but Michigan State was without Jalen Naylor. And so, like, from there, it was a wrap for me. I, I didn't think that they would be able to pass the ball very well. Jalen Reed's a good player too, but when Denzel Burt can kind of shadow him and you don't have to worry about that other guy on the other side, I think the defense job, the defense's job was made a little bit easier. But, you know, Jalen Reed's still capable and 
Denzel Burke, he's doing it week in, week out. He got beat for at least one catch. Um, and then he broke up the other one, which you and I both know was a fumble that the refs were kind of trying to keep the game interesting on both of those plays. He sort of got beat, but he was right where he needed to be. Like he was in perfect position. There was, were just great catches. Um, but when Reed and Burke were matched up, um, it's five targets and then like one catch for 21 yards. But getting back to the front, I think those guys are just playing really well and they've got guys to throw out there. They've got a veteran like Teron Vincent, who he may not be on the field for a quarter at a time, but then you throw him into the rotation. He knows what to do. He's been there. He's done it. He's healthy. We're keeping him healthy. That's good. Haskell Garrett played really well and uh, he was clearly inspired he knew that he was going to go out there and whoop somebody's ass. And those are his words, not mine. It's a good unit. Um, and I still think you're going to have struggles from time to time, especially in the back end. But from what we saw sort of early to mid season to where we are now, I think it speaks to Matt Barnes. Um, I think that my guess is that Kerry Combs is still involved and I think that he has that secondary, at least the corners, playing well. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about Bryson Shaw delivering the hit stick on Kenneth Walker. I know that that was a season highlight for you, but there's still some things that we'd like to see done differently, but they're working with what they have and they're coaching guys up, especially a guy like Tommy Eichenberg. He is not going to be perfect against some teams. Um, he didn't do a whole lot against Purdue. If it's a spread, you know, a spread team, his impact is probably minimized, but he was all over the place yesterday and he played some really good football and he's done that a couple times recently. Guys are getting better and it speaks to the defense. And it also, we need to remind ourselves with the offense as well. Like this stuff takes time. You have to trust the coaches, trust the players, be patient, which I know sucks and it's hard for us to do as fans, but we've seen it, you know, as the season progressed, everyone's getting better. And that's what makes the coaching staff great. And that's what makes the players great. That's why they're four and five star guys to begin with. The defense is just the best example, I think, of uh, sort of that improvement and being patient and giving guys an opportunity to grow and develop and learn. Yeah, and Tommy Eichenberg is a guy that we were hard on early in the season. I think oh, yeah. both of us now have been impressed with how much he's improved and he's become a, a very productive member of this defense. He doesn't he's not a starter anymore, but he comes in in certain situations and in those, you know, in his smaller role, he's played really really well and I think he deserves a ton of credit for that progression. But Josh, I'm glad you brought up the secondary because, you know, as as much as I want to give a ton of credit to the stars in this game and they played tremendous. There was a bunch of stuff I saw when the the second stringers came in that I am very intrigued by and I I you know, it, it's a bit it's a bit uh encouraging but it's also a bit confusing because I'm seeing some players that should probably be playing more and and just aren't and I, I think you know where I'm starting with this you talked about you know Bryson Shaw laying his big hit and I'll, I'll give him credit for that but Court Williams in this game I thought really really flashed I you know he was obviously playing the second half when the game was out of hand but I thought he played really really well at safety um, I've been saying for most of the year that I'd like to see him get out there at safety and you know I didn't see any reason to not think that uh, after this game he wound up leading the team in tackles with seven uh, he had a team high two tackles for loss. He also had a pass breakup. I thought he played really well in limited snaps. I thought Cam Martinez played well in limited snaps. And those are two guys now where, you know, Ohio State's, you know, maybe looking for a safety. Those are two guys that could get a look out there. I thought Lathan Ransom played well, kind of in that that free safety role. He made a nice play in the backfield. Um, I've thought all year that Marcus Williamson has played well when they've given him a shot. And with seven banks out, he, he got a chance to, to play a lot more. And I thought he played once again well in this game. I think Ohio State's best probably starting trio at corner is... Denzel Burke, Cam Brown, and and Marcus Williamson in that slot role. Um, so I'd like to see him out there more. I don't know how you know what's up with Seven Banks, how injured he is, or whatever. But he hasn't particularly looked great out there. And I think Ohio State has some better options if they decide to go that way. But yeah, I'm very interested in some of these guys that got to play in garbage time. What their roles could be moving forward. Also, a guy like Craig Young. I think Craig Young was actually playing you know early in this game with the ones a little bit. I've I've liked what yeah I've seen he was as well. So they, these are you know these are all guys that were like highly regarded recruits, and these are guys that you know fans they know their names. These are guys that were hyped up to be kind of the next in line. We haven't seen them a ton, but I thought all of them looked really good when they were on the field. And I don't know how much, you know, 
how much can be taken from that in a game that's already out of hand and where they could really pin their ears back and not have to worry about making mistakes because the game is so already wrapped up. But I thought that all of those guys played really well, and I would like to see more of uh, Court Williams especially, but I would like to see more of pretty much all those guys. And Tyreek Williams, like I brought up with defensive line. I thought he's played, you know, Ohio State's defensive tackles have been really good across the board, but I thought I thought Tyreek Williams has really flashed when he's been on the field, so I'd like to see more of him. But, you know, like I said, not a ton to complain about, but I am interested in seeing some of these guys play, especially with the struggles Ohio State's had in the secondary this year, it seems like they have some potential answers on their roster. And if not, you know, if if these guys don't work out, I kind of wrote a column last week saying there's no harm in putting them out there if the starters are already playing bad. Like the worst that they could do is play bad. And if the guys that are already out there are doing that, what is the harm in, in giving one of these other guys a shot? So... I'll be interested to see, you know, I don't think they're going to come out there with, with new starters in the secondary against a team like Michigan or, or even Wisconsin with the way they're playing right now if they do advance to the Big Ten title game. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see those guys at least rotating in a little bit more. And I think that they've, at the very minimum, deserved a shot. Yeah, it, it almost makes you wonder what we're not seeing. You know, um, how do some of those younger, more inexperienced guys perform in practice? Um, or, you know, mentally, are they making too many mistakes where the physical ability there is, but in practice, you know, they're missing assignments, they're missing reads, they're missing coverage, things like that. I I think that's probably got to be a part of it. But I do like a couple of those guys you brought up, and I do hope that we continue to see them out there. Specifically, you know, Court Williams, great game yesterday, tied for the lead in tackles. Craig Young, like you said, he was out there with the ones. He may have even taken the first snap of the game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Tylee Williams, super odd. Like uh, early in the season, we thought maybe he was the best defensive lineman in college football. Uh, You know, that's hyperbole, but he looked awesome. And then he's just sort of been a ghost since then. So I'm not sure what it is. I and we're not privy to kind of, like I said, what those coaches and everything see. But what I like about those three guys and some of the other guys is they are big athletes. You know, Craig Young is generously listed at like 6'3", 230 or whatever he is. Not a chance. That guy's a monster. Um, I think Court Williams is like 6'1", 215, 220. He can play that sort of hybrid role. Tyler Williams is like that, that fast, quick twitch, strong defensive lineman. They're all big athletes athletes. And, you know, you can't teach that. Obviously they say you can't teach size, but you, you can't teach that combination of size, speed, quickness, things like that. So I, I think given time, those three guys and a, and a couple of other ones, they'll grow into like these really, really good Ohio state defensive players. It's just, like I said, maybe they're Maybe there's something in the mental aspect of the game where they make too many mistakes, but I was encouraged by that. And we've seen things happen late in the season. I know we're getting ready to go into week 12 and Michigan week and all that good stuff, but there's nothing prohibiting Ohio State coaches from making changes based on what they see in some of these later games. And I thought that the Craig Youngs and the Court Williamses of the world contributed to a really, really good defensive game. And so maybe that speaks to the coaches. Maybe that kind of changes their mind on something. But those three guys in particular that you mentioned, I think they're all going to be really exciting to watch uh, along with the new guys that come in. And, uh, you know, Note Note was out yesterday. We don't know why. I think he's going to bring something to the table, um, you know, provided he sticks around and he's healthy and all that good stuff. But it's encouraging to see the the talent sort of rise to the top and get more playing time over what we saw earlier. Um, so, it's all positive and they're going to need all of those guys. I think they're going to need a rotation um, based on matchups and things like that against certain teams. And so the more reps they can get, the more experience, I think the better. Yeah. And I, I, you know, we, we watched tough Borland start for this team for like 15 years. So I don't know how encouraged I am by this coaching staff's ability to maybe see a flaw in the defense and, and fix it. But at the same time, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, like maybe there weren't a ton of good linebacker options 
outside of Tough Moreland at the time because, you know, obviously Steel Chambers wasn't a linebacker yet, and we haven't really seen anyone else in that room. You know, Cody Simons played well, but I don't think he's played, you know, spectacularly. So I don't know if there was really, at the time, someone who could step up in his place and, and do any better at the moment. So maybe maybe there was more to that than we thought, but it does seem like now with, with the players that Ohio State has struggling, there are, you know, at least a few clear options that, that maybe could to, could give it a shot. So I don't know. I guess it's an, a, a different situation, but... I'm not particularly high on this defensive coaching staff as a whole. If if Ohio State was to get rid of everyone but Larry Johnson at the end of the season, I wouldn't be upset about it in any way. And they could, you know, they could probably take their offensive line coach with them. But at the end of the day, um, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how similar the situations are. I don't, I don't expect to see wholesale changes at, with the way with the point of the season that we're in. But I think overall, you know, the starters played really well. Um, and then, yeah, I don't think there's much to complain about in a 56 to seven win over the number seven team in the country. So overall. Um, a great game for Ohio State, about as good as they could have asked for in this game. It's two weeks in a row now where they've gotten out to these really, really hot starts, and the other team has just basically given up by the second quarter because there's literally nothing they could do on the defensive end, and they just don't have the offenses to compete. Uh, even an offense like Purdue, that's pretty high flying, high scoring. That they just even, even they are not as efficient as Ohio State is right now, and so a lot of surrender start. cobras. You know yeah, what I'm talking ton, about? A ton. It's you know, imagine being a Michigan <laughs> State fan and paying like 150 bucks to go watch that game in Columbus yesterday. I'm sure that was a blast. Well, but <laughs> imagine being a, a Michigan State player and that's where you do sort of feel bad for those guys you know they were in the playoff hunt they've worked all year to get to this they're number seven in the rankings and they just got their doors blown off I mean that's got to be so deflating and I I, I want to ask you do you think that Mel Tucker's situation and the, the contract talk and everything like that do you think that they're any of that sort of played a role? Do you think there was any sort of distraction or complacency or comfort? Or what do you think sort of, do you think that that played a role at all? I don't think it played a role, but I think it's like these teams keep doing this where they keep announcing like coaching extensions before really big games and they keep losing the games. Like I know is it, you know, a different sport, but Michigan extended Juwan Howard and then they went and lost a seat in the hall. You know, Minnesota extended PJ Fleck and then he went ahead and lost the next two games. Like teams just keep doing this at really poor times. Like maybe, maybe don't announce extensions before losable football games. Like maybe wait, either do it like beforehand or like do it afterwards, but not right before. Like don't announce that you're going to do it right before you play a game against a team that has a chance to really to really beat you good and it's just it's it's bad timing like I don't really you know I, I do think you know Mel Tucker deserves a ton of credit for what he's done at Michigan State I still think that you know if they decide to extend they're they're going to extend him for a while and a lot of money and I think he's he's earned a lot of that he's brought Michigan State from really the doldrums to a team that had a chance to contend for a Big Ten title this year when no one thought they'd even be competitive. So I still think he deserves a ton of credit. I think he's going to do a really good job there in the long run. I think once he gets you know a lot of their recruiting going, obviously this team is built mostly on transfers, but once he gets that recruiting going, I think Michigan State is, you know, it's going to be a, a battle legitimately for the number one team in the state of Michigan up there between Michigan State and Michigan once he really he gets his guys going. And I, I think that players believe in what he's doing. I think he's a really good football coach. So I do think he deserves it. I don't think the contract talk at any any really bearing on this game I just think that they were you know they were outclassed talent wise Mel Tucker knew that you know he said you know, he, he felt the game get away early they knew they didn't have the guys to keep up with Ohio State's offense and that just you know you can't at a certain point you can only coach so much and you know when you just don't have the guys to get the job done it's it's an impossible task to do especially going on the road and, and trying to win that game so I don't know if they're quite ready to to battle with the Ohio States of the world just yet, but I, I think they're heading in the right direction and I think that Mel Tucker is doing uh, as good a job as you could have asked if you're a Michigan State fan. Yeah, I agree. I think he's really sort of brought that program back from the brink of, gosh, disaster. Um, they were in a, a rough spot and he, you know, kind of led them up to the number seven ranking and even higher previous to that, obviously. But I, the money and the terms and everything that was thrown out, like I thought that was banana land when I first heard it. I was like, really? Based on this season and this season alone, basically, I know they beat Michigan last year, but uh, yeah, you got to know what you're doing and to make an investment like that or potential investment like that, like you've got to really be sure. And now I think if you're looking in that situation and look, it's not my money or anything like that, but what are you, what are you paying for? Um, you know, are you paying somebody to be a top five compensated coach to be hopefully 
the second best team in your division in your conference? Like, is that the is that the end game? Is that how much you want to be relevant? That you're willing to invest that sort of money, or do you sort of look for somebody who's more homegrown, takes less money, and makes them scrappy? I don't know. Um, but I just I thought that whole situation was odd and. Um, the way it played out yesterday, I wonder if it makes Michigan state and their, um, you know, their alumni and their board and all that good stuff. And, uh, their donors reassess the situation, I guess. Yeah. It's definitely not the greatest of optics. I don't think that the timing, they helped him out in any way, shape or form, but yeah, I know it is, it is an interesting point to bring up. Cause like, unless you're, you know, if you're a team in the big 10, unless you could prove you're, you can consistently beat Ohio state, you're always going to be playing second fiddle in your own conference, let alone, you know, in the national conversation. So it is really a test of what are your goals going into a season? What is your expectations for a football season? What do you consider a successful year? Because unless you can beat Ohio state at some point in the season, you're not going to contend for a play off you're not going to contend for an actual national title and you're not even going to contend for a big 10 title so until you could prove you could do that i don't know you know what your your goals are really looking for and there isn't a coach in the big 10 right now that's even remotely proven they could do that so until you know until somebody comes in and you know beats ohio state once or twice in a row even uh i don't know how much how how, if any of these coaches are worth you know top five top 10 money but you know clearly they like what they see in tucker they know that he's getting looks from other places i think they want to keep him around and i think that's a lot of uh what what's going into that extension but before we get you know too far off ohio state and start talking to other teams is there anything else we wanted to say about about Ohio State before we kind of move on to the the national picture here and what else happened in college football this weekend? No. um, Beyond the fact that uh, our next preview pod is going to be a heater. The week is officially here. It was over, you know, it started about 3.30 yesterday. So I'm looking forward to that. I think it's going to be legit. I think it's going to be fun. Um, But just a great victory yesterday by Ohio State to really whoop uh, a top 10 opponent and further cement themselves in the national landscape, which is, I know where you're heading, Gene. Absolutely. And yes, I, I agree. You know, I'm excited to do that preview. I think this will be one of the better Ohio State Machine games we've seen in recent years. But yes, before we get to next week, we must first discuss the week that just happened and some of the things that happened across the national landscape, stuff that has an effect on the playoffs. And I think obviously the biggest story of the day outside of Ohio State's massive win over a top 10 team was uh, what happened out in the West Coast that night. Uh, Utah 38, Oregon 7. Josh, these guys stink and I have no idea how they beat Ohio State. <laughs> yeah, it does make you wonder. Now, they've um they've dealt with some injuries, but they primarily had their guys back for this game and if I'm not mistaken though, like they were still the underdog or they, if they were the favorite, it was only by, you know, one to three points. They were three point underdogs going into this game against the number <laughs> That's because, team in the country. Yeah, Utah wants to punch you in the face. Like they're a lunch pail and hard hat sort of team. And and that's what they did to Oregon. You know, Oregon uh, runs the spread, the misdirection there. I I don't want to say exotic, you know, they're still very rooted in a ground game and things like that. Um, They're not the Oregon of old, but Utah plays a completely different style. They switched to a new quarterback and his name's escaping me right now, but they've been a lot better um, since he got on the field for them, but they've got a good defense. And then on the other side of the ball, they're going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and just try and beat you up physically. And that's exactly what happened. Oregon got beat up and that's sort of the team that, I guess I expected them to be. They played really well against Ohio State. Like that victory counts. They won fair and square. They even did it without Thibodeau and guys like that. But Utah beat them up. Stan, you know, Stanford plays an ugly brand of football. They beat Oregon up. They just, you know, I, finesse might not be the right word, but it's the one that comes to mind for me. They're sort of a finesse football team. And uh, they got finessed, I guess is the best way to put it. Oregon or Utah took it to them. They're going to fall out of the top four. And, um, you know, the way in which they lost was surprising, though. But the fact that they did, I can't say I'm surprised. I They've eked out a couple close ones and they were sort of they were on par with like Oklahoma for me. I, I was just waiting for them to lose another game. And again, I'm not taking away what they did against Ohio State. They earned that. That was a legit good victory, but I'm not shocked by the result. 
Yeah, absolutely. They they deserved every bit of their win over Ohio State. They beat Ohio State up in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Uh, they really ran it down their throats. They took advantage of all of the flaws Ohio State had earlier in the year, and they they definitely you know it wasn't like you know it was a close game on paper, but it felt like Oregon really dominated in that game against Ohio State. But I think as the season gone on, we've seen two teams heading in different trajectories. Um, yeah, you brought out your yeah, Cam Rising as the quarterback at Utah. He's played really well for them. Utah reminds me a lot of like the Pac-12 version of kind of a mix between Iowa and Purdue, where they're a team that if you're not <laughs> playing your best game they will come and get you and that's exactly what they did to Oregon yesterday um so obviously an important important uh outcome in the scope of the college football playoff it will at the very minimum move Ohio State up to number three in the country now Oregon will drop out and it will be really you know two loss Oregon is is basically eliminated the whole Pac-12 is virtually eliminated from the playoff at this point um elsewhere Alabama took care of business against Arkansas they only won by seven and it wasn't a particularly pretty game but they did uh win the football game uh Cincinnati uh, finally looked like Cincinnati for the first time in a few weeks. They finally looked like a team that is actually trying to make the playoff. They beat up on SMU 48-14. to uh, That was, you know, I was watching that for a little bit until it got out of hand. But, yeah, Cincinnati's a good team. I think they'll slot into that number four spot. I think that as of right now, they're very deserving of a playoff spot. I think they are one of the four best teams in the country. I haven't seen much from anyone else to really make me believe otherwise. Uh, elsewhere, Michigan stays, you know, they, they keep this game important next week. They win 59-18 over Maryland. That line was only uh, 14 points. Didn't understand it at all. Maryland stinks, and Michigan's been playing really well, so I wasn't particularly surprised by that outcome. But other than that, not a not a ton of uh, craziness during the day. Clemson beat Wake Forest, but I think Wake Forest has just kind of been living on a really good offense and a bad defense, and when the offense didn't have it, it finally caught up to them. Uh, Oklahoma took down Iowa State. Oklahoma's still low-key, like in a spot where they could make a make a run for the college mm-hmm. playoff. They only have the one loss, and they're going to play Oklahoma State twice coming up here, once in the regular season and once in the Big Ten, Big Ten, uh, Big Ten, Big Twelve championship. So they're they're certainly. I think for Cincinnati, if we want to get into a little bit of playoff talk here, I think Cincinnati's biggest threat right now is probably that Oklahoma team. Um, I don't really see. I mean, obviously, their their bigger threat is if Alabama was to beat Georgia. I don't see that happening, but that is, I guess, the the most likely outcome if, if Cincinnati was to miss the playoffs. But I also think that Oklahoma is kind of creeping up behind them now, and if they, they win out, there's a chance that they might get put in over the, the Bearcats. And while I don't necessarily agree with it, I think that's a very uh, legitimate possibility. See, I think Notre Dame's a possibility, and I, I couldn't disagree with it more. I don't think that... Oregon, or I'm sorry, I don't think that that would just be mean. I I don't think the Notre Dame's a good team, but they've got the prestige. I mean, they are Notre Dame at the end of the day, and they were what eighth as of yesterday. Um, You know, they blew the doors off of Georgia Tech. They're not a good football team, but uh, you know, I, I think that Notre Dame is a real threat, even though the schedule that they play is not. Uh, on paper and in real life, it's not what it it used to be, right? Or it's not what it has been in years past. You know, they opened up against Florida State. Florida State's garbage. Um, they whooped on Wisconsin. Wisconsin wasn't a good football team at the time. Um, so I don't give them a ton of credit there. They lost to Cincinnati. Obviously, they could barely score. They beat USC. That was supposed to be sort of a big, important game. USC's garbage. They beat North Carolina. North Carolina started out the season right. So I'm not impressed personally with Notre Dame, but I think the fact that they have risen up, you know, as the year has gone on, I think that they are probably more of a threat than Oklahoma, but I could see it going either way. My think, my issue with Notre Dame is that, like you said, they, they lost head-to-head to Cincinnati. And unlike some mm-hmm. of these other head-to-heads that might have come into play, like Ohio State, Oregon, I think most people could see that Ohio State was playing much better football than Oregon. I think, you know, Michigan, Michigan State, I think people could say that Michigan was playing better than Michigan State. I don't think you could confidently say that Notre Dame's been playing better than Cincinnati because, like you said, their schedule isn't especially impressive overall. And while, you know, Cincinnati's obviously not playing a Power 5 schedule, but at the end of the day, Cincinnati's undefeated and they beat Notre Notre Dame. So I couldn't, you know, the committee's done some dumb things. I couldn't see them jumping Notre Dame over Cincinnati, especially with, you know, Notre Dame not really having a a marquee win on the schedule. Yeah. And so I should have clarified. I didn't mean that I think Notre Dame should jump anybody. I think that Notre Dame is now 
a candidate to creep into the playoff. I, I do not under any circumstances think that they should jump Cincinnati. So maybe I should have um, presented that a little bit differently, but I just think that Notre Dame is more of a threat to get up to that number four spot than Oklahoma, because I think Notre Dame is trending in the right direction. Whereas Oklahoma is basically treading water. I, I shouldn't say that they're um, regressing, but uh, yesterday, didn't really impress me. You know, I think Iowa State is an overrated team. I think that Matt Campbell, frankly, is an overrated football coach. And Caleb Williams isn't a great passer. He was like eight for 18 yesterday. He's just a, he's a good athlete and he'll get better. I think that he will become a good passer. He's probably a special player down the road. But um, I just think Notre Dame's more of a threat to get up there. But in totality, I think you have to put Cincinnati in the top four now it's time um you know i haven't been really banging the drum i i have family in cincinnati i have relatives who went to the school i love luke fickle obviously but i haven't been pounding the table for them to be in that top four until now um smu was a real opponent uh, especially smu's offense is a really really good offense and cincinnati shut them down they whooped them and at some point you just have to stop like pushing back against it and like preventing them from having an opportunity and give them the chance. Even if they get their doors blown off in some sort of playoff game, you know, they hung with Georgia last year. I know Georgia was missing some guys, guys opted out. It was the pandemic year and all that good stuff. They've shown that they can play with the big boys. They beat Notre Dame. So I just, at this point, I don't think you can continue to sort of, you know, put your hand on the forehead and hold them out. I think they have to be in the top four and I would put them fourth. Yeah. Okay. So in that scenario, that makes sense. So you're saying like at the end of the year, if Alabama loses to Georgia, you'd have Georgia, Ohio State, Cincinnati and Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that would be, you know, if the committee wants to give the people what they want and they want Ohio State's offense to play Georgia's defense, I think that's your, your <laughs> ideal playoff scenario for that outcome. Um, you know, no disrespect to Cincinnati. I, I don't know if they're quite yet ready to to compete. When, when Ohio State's playing the way they are right now, I should say, I don't think Cincinnati has a, a chance to compete. We've seen, I mean, you know, it was a different Cincinnati team a couple years ago, but the last time those two teams played, Ohio State won 42 to nothing. So it wasn't exactly a competitive football game. And obviously they're a lot better than they were at that time, but that was only, I believe, like two years ago. So it's not a, a crazy, you know, jump from then to now. Uh, but yeah, I don't I don't exactly see either of the lower seeds winning in that, in that instance. But then again, I don't know if there's, you know, you know, find me a, a team that's going to pull off the four seed that's going to even compete with Georgia this season. I don't think you're going to you're going to find really anyone out there unless, you know, unless Ohio State somehow lands at the four spot, which I don't think is humanly possible at this point. Uh, I don't think you're going to see a very competitive first round game with Georgia. I would like to see that, actually. So I, I was sort of thinking about how that could potentially happen. So I, I think the the route to get there is Alabama narrowly beats Georgia in the SEC championship game. And so even though the, like, even though three of the top four teams would have a loss, I still don't think Cincinnati gets to number one. I think that's pretty obvious. So like if that were to happen, I think you put Alabama one, Ohio state two, Cincinnati three, Georgia four. But then even then, like does the committee want to see Alabama, Georgia, version three, like, I don't know, I'm looking for a way to where Ohio state could play Georgia. And I just, I don't know if I see it, but I, that's the game. That's what everyone wants yeah, to see. I, I don't think it could happen before the national title game. And while I do think it's a very legitimate chance to happen in the national title game, I just don't think, you know, Ohio state's going to finish either third or, you know, I don't know, you know, the Alabama Georgia game is going to determine a lot, but I don't think Ohio state could really finish lower than third. I mean, if they win out, they're going to have now wins over number six, Michigan, a, a top 15 Wisconsin team. And then, you know, they're, they're going to be either two or three at that point, unless Georgia loses. I, I mean, I guess if Georgia lost, there's a chance they could finish at one, but I'm not, you know, I'm not pining for Ohio state to be the number one team in the country right now. I still think Georgia has done more than enough to, to be, to warrant that spot by a pretty wide margin. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be a little. I think it's actually it's going to be fun to have an actual interesting playoff here down the stretch. You know, it probably will end up being like four teams that we you know pretty much expected at the end of the year, or at least teams that we knew were in the hunt. It's not going to be any shockers in the in the top four, but I do think at least it's interesting that it's not completely set in stone at this point. 
Um, it'll be fun to watch over the next couple weeks. Obviously, Ohio State, uh, you know, biggest game of the year coming up, both in terms of the rivalry and in terms of, you know, playoff positioning and their their season at large. You know, they need to win that game to make the playoff. Both teams do. Uh, you know, we could see, you know, if, if Michigan beats Ohio State in that game, Michigan's probably going to the college football playoff. They'd, they'd have to play, you know, either team that wins is going to have to play Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game. But, yeah, it's a, it's a big game for the playoffs, big game for the, the national landscape overall. Uh, you know, Ohio State's playing really well right now. I, I think that, you know, if they continue to do what they're doing, they shouldn't have any problems moving forward. But they're, you know, they're a team we've seen have flaws. And if some of those flaws happen to, to pop up, they're still they're still vulnerable. So I wouldn't, you know, I'm not going out here expecting Ohio State to be the offensive version of what Georgia is. But that that's kind of what they've looked like the last two weeks. So we'll, I guess we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I think that uh, Ohio State has two more, at least two more potentially um, real tough, challenging games that they have to take deadly serious. You know, they will this week. Uh, I think Wisconsin is real. The fact that they have a 17 year old running back who's running all over people is just wildly impressive. But uh, my sort of like overall thought on the national landscape is for all of the pissing and moaning that we do collectively, not just you and I, but like collectively, it sort of always turns out the way that it should. And the fact that right now, if you had to ask anybody on the planet who's watched college football, Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State in some order and so like some iteration of those three teams are the three best teams in college football. And right now they all have a chance to play for it. Um, So for all the expanded playoff and stuff like that, I still want to see that. Don't get me wrong. But for people who get too caught up in the, like the first rankings or what teams are doing in the middle of the season or an early upset, even though I don't know, you know, the Oregon game for Ohio state wasn't a massive upset, but it was an early loss. And people are like, Oh my gosh, what the, what does this do to our chances? The cream rises to the top. It always does. And this is just another instance of that. You've got the top three teams inarguably all in, you know, at the top, probably the top three teams right now. They're all going to have a chance on paper. And in real life, these are the three best teams. And then you're going to throw somebody else in there probably as a sacrificial lamb in this instance, but it it just sort of works out this way. And and it's odd, but here's where we are. And Ohio state is right there with everything in front of them and uh, potentially a Heisman trophy. So Gene, I wanted to point that out before we jumped off of here. Bet Online put out some new odds this morning. CJ Stroud is a minus 250 favorite now to win the Heisman Trophy. How much are you putting down on it? I mean, I don't, I don't often be betting it. I'm not a big futures guy, but I, you know, I think that you know it's very clear after yesterday that he should be the front runner. And I know Bryce Young put up big games against a big, uh, a big game against Arkansas, but he also had to play all four quarters because the team wasn't playing particularly well on the other side of the ball. So, you know, CJ Stroud played one half of football, played about as as good a quarterback could play. Um, he was already like a top three option for the Heisman. They, they Ohio State took out one of the other options themselves, and so it's really, you know, it's between CJ Stroud and Bryce Young here, and I think that a lot will come down to how those teams finish. If Ohio State wins out, I think CJ Stroud will win the Heisman. If Alabama wins out uh, and they, they have that win over Georgia, then it'll be an interesting conversation. But if, you know, if the season plays out how I expect it to and Ohio State wins out and Alabama loses that game to Georgia, then I think CJ Stroud will be a shoe-in to take home the trophy, and it'll be funny to to see that him win the Heisman after some Ohio State fans want him bench early in the year. He'll probably be the first Heisman ever whose own fan base hated him for a stretch of the season. Uh, but, you know, it's, you know, there haven't been a ton of good quarterbacks this year. We know it's a quarterback award, so it really is just kind of a de facto one versus two between those two guys. And I thought it was funny yesterday just talking about quarterbacks in general. Uh, I saw a tweet, I think it was by uh, by Big Ryan, uh, that the three quarterbacks that stand in Ohio State's way of a national title are Cade McNamara, Graham Mertz, and Stetson Bennett. And I know that there's, you know, there's more that goes into those teams, obviously, but it is funny to see that, you know, it's three not spectacular quarterbacks standing in the way of Ohio State in the national title. So if they can take care of business, the road is definitely there. Uh, it's kind of, it's crazy to think about where this team has come from from the beginning of the year to now that, you know, the national title is a realistic goal, but yeah, not exactly a murderer's row of quarterbacks coming up, not exactly a murder of, murderer's row of quarterbacks in the country overall this season. So it'll be, well, let me, see. let me spin it. So that also means Jim Harbaugh, Paul Christ and Kirby smart stand in the way. Three um, coaches that definitely never have tendencies of blowing it in big spots. 
Yeah. And, you know, look, Ryan Day hasn't won a national title yet, but I, I would take him over those guys any day. Um, so I, it, we've said it multiple times, like the end of the season is going to be really exciting, really interesting, really fun to watch, regardless of how it shakes out. Um, I think that this year in college football, it is one of the more enjoyable seasons just from an overall general kind of point of view that I can remember. You know, it's, it's, it's obviously great when Ohio State is playing in the CFP or they win a natty or anything like that, but just all the things that have happened and all the things that have tra- have transpired this season off of the 2020 pandemic. Like this was, I, don't know, I feel like this was the year that college football needed. Not that it was in any sort of trouble by any means. They're probably raking it in hand over fist, but like just the entire year and the entire season has been super enjoyable to watch. It sucks that it's winding down, but it's awesome that we've got a couple more games to look forward to. Yeah, it, it's been a really, really fun year across the board. There's been a lot of good games this season, just, you know, across the country at, at all different levels, you know, Power Five, Group of Five. There's been a lot of good, fun football games, a lot of exciting storylines, and now it all comes together with Ohio State versus Michigan in a, in a top, probably top five uh, battle in Ann Arbor next weekend. We will obviously be back with you sometime this week to preview that game. But until then, we'll, we will wrap up here. I think we've we've touched on pretty much everything that happened this weekend. Josh, it's good to have you back this week. Um, be sure to follow all of our stuff at Langer and Holand this week. We're going to have a ton of, of Michigan-related content, as you know, as you would imagine. Uh, and we will, yeah, like I said, we'll be back to preview that game later in the week. Um, so for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And uh, as always, go Bucks.